Good morning. Uh, on behalf of Christ Fellowship Eastside, uh, I, am, I just want to express our gratefulness to this congregation, to Christ Fellowship Cherrydale, and the blessing that you've been to me personally, and the blessing that you've been to our church. Uh, you guys have been faithful to send some of your own, some, of, some fellow members of your own, your own came with us to plant over on the east side in September of 2020, uh, in the middle of the height of COVID and everything like that. Um, people went out and, and, and helped us plant over there on the east side. Uh, and you guys have been faithful, generously giving us uh, support throughout that time. And, and it's exciting to be able to be in a position where as we're looking toward August of next year, uh, Lord willing, we'll be self-supporting. Uh, and that is only because of the generosity of Christ Fellowship Cherrydale. We could not be here without you guys. And, you know, it's encouraging to me as I come back here after being away for a couple years, uh, it's encouraging not only to see so many of the faces that I've known, that I've ministered alongside, that, that I've discipled, um, but also to see so many new faces uh, in, the, in the group here today. So if, if you don't know me, uh, you are a fruit of God's blessing to Christ Fellowship Cherrydale, um, that you know, in the counterintuitive kingdom plan of God, the, the churches that send multiply uh, themselves. And so it's a, a, encouraging uh, to see two services happening in, in one space here at Cherrydale as, as God has blessed the sending efforts, uh, the efforts that you guys have to multiply uh, not only disciples, but leaders and churches to the nations. And so it's exciting to be a part of that. And I'm thrilled to open the word of God this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the fruit of the spirit of patience. Now, um, they did not bring me in here because I am an expert on this fruit of the spirit. So I just want to clear that up uh, right out of the gate. Um, in fact, I don't know very many church planters who um, naturally gravitate toward this, the, the fruit of the spirit of patience. Uh, most of the church planters I know gravitate toward uh, angst and dissatisfaction with the status quo of, of the church or the church in a particular area or the, the, the reach of the mission of God. In, in fact, I would say that most missionaries I know, uh, you guys have sent out some of your own who are now serving on foreign fields uh, or serving across the U.S. In, in various mission capacities. I don't know any missionary uh, that doesn't have some kind of God-ordained discontent with the availability or the advance of the gospel. And I would even venture to say, if we look at the life of Jesus, and if we look at the apostles to some extent, we're going to scratch our heads and say, these don't look like very patient people, do they? Like they're going out and they're doing mission and they're spreading the, the good news of the kingdom of God. They're not sitting back and kind of waiting for something to happen. They're, you might almost classify some of what Jesus and the apostles do as somewhat impatient. And so I would start with having us scratch our heads collectively and say, well, maybe the idea that we have of patience isn't necessarily formed by Scripture, but just by our ideas of what patience is. So what, what we want to do is get a full picture of what patience is. And so for that, we're going to look to the Word of God this morning. James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 7 and read down to verse 11, a short passage focused on patience. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. 
Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is God's word. Uh, in, in this passage, we're going to see four things. Basically, we're going to comb through it four times because it's a short passage. We can get away with that, right? Um, and we're going to see four things that come to the surface. We're going to see why we need patience. We're going to see what patience is, what patience is not, and then we're going to see how we get it. So why we need it, what it is, what it isn't, how we get it. Uh, first of all, why we need patience. Uh, James is going to show us three reasons why we need patience. He's going to give us um, three pulls of our heart in very dark directions that show us why we need patience um, from the Spirit. So first of all, he shows us in, in verses 7 and 8 that we need patience because without it, we'll seek vengeance against our enemies. Um, now, if, if you notice at the beginning of verse 7, it starts with the word therefore. And so you always got to find out what the word therefore is there for. And so verses 1 through 6 talk about this category of very wealthy people that are oppressing the people of God. They're doing very evil things against God's people. And so their reaction and their response to that uh, is going to be to vindicate themselves, is to seek out some sort of revenge in this circumstance, because they look at these rich people and they say, everything's going in their favor. I need to reverse the scales here. I need to address this injustice. I need to address this oppression that's happening. And so James shows us that followers of Jesus need to trust their cause to the hand of God. Now, we see that as very counterintuitive in our culture. That, that presses against us. I mean, I, I think there's, a, there's an entire genre of movies that wouldn't exist if we all followed uh, James chapter 5 here, the, the, the whole revenge genre of movies. I think uh, basically Keanu Reeves, Liam Neeson, they'd be just totally out of jobs if, it, if everybody followed this, this passage. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't take out a vendetta against somebody for hurting your dog, or you know, if somebody's taken, you can't um, you know, require somebody with a very particular set of skills to address and remedy that, that situation. Um, and, and, and what James is saying is, no, not vengeance, patience. Not vengeance, patience. And I see this is, is all the more relevant in our current climate that we find ourselves in, 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 the, in the world that we find ourselves in. We feel ourselves pulled left, right. Uh, everybody is pulled toward impatience with what's going on in the broader world. When we look at existential evil, when we look at evil that we can't address with our own two fists, we become angry and impatient with the injustices around us. And that is natural. That is, that is in fact, hardwired into the DNA of humanity to want justice, to crave justice, to crave solutions to the chaos and the existential evil that we can't grapple with in our world. And so whether, whether you're, you, you find yourself more left-oriented or right-oriented, you're going you're gonna to gravitate toward impatience with the world and the evils that surround you. And so with each of these challenges, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with a question to kind of just rest on you 
to, to wrestle with, you know, am I in danger of slipping away from patience, of gravitating toward impatience? And the, the question I would ask, if you look at the greatest influences in your life, if you look at the news that you take in, the information that you ingest, the social media influences in your life, the reading lists that you have, uh, the, the books on your bedside table, do those sources help you remain patient in the face of evil, or do they disciple your heart toward impatience? Is your heart being discipled toward patience or impatience by the things you take in? That's a test for us. Second thing that James warns us is he says, without patience, you're going to lash out against your community. We see this um, in the next, uh, in verse 9, actually. He says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Uh, this, this verse, uh, there, there are some kind of liberal commentators who will look at this verse and say, what does this even have to do with the context? Like this, this probably doesn't even belong without any evidence. So they'll just kind of say, maybe, maybe just ignore that verse because it just kind of jumps out of nowhere. It's talking about patience and then it's talking about like not complaining about Brothers and sisters, why, what's the connection here? Ah, the, the connection is awesome. If you think about it, uh, the next book in your Bible, 1 Peter, is a book all about suffering, all about persecution, all about the, the pressures that press in on the people of God, this existential evil, right? And in the middle of 1 Peter, he actually takes an entire chapter and talks about what? Family. How to get along with husbands and wives and kids and those in your household. Why would he do that? Because when, when we're faced... With, in, with, with incredible suffering, the tendency of our hearts is to become insufferable with others, those closest to us. Because you see, if, if I can't get my hands on the existential evil out there, I'll get my hands on those close to me, those who haven't really wronged me, but I'll take it out on those around me. See, those, those who are impatient people always have to have an enemy. There always has to be evil somewhere lurking close by, and that makes you a miserable person in your church, your home, your family, your friends, because we're existentially frustrated all the time with the big injustices of the world around us. So already, some of you are probably going, okay, like, I've got all kinds of but whatabouts on all this. Like, are we supposed to just grin and bear all the evils in the world? Are you saying we just ignore it, pretend put on my rose-colored glasses and just pretend it away. No, not quite. In fact, I, I'll give you a hint, and we're going we're gonna to get to the but whatabouts, I promise. Um, but a hint here. Uh, when, when he says, brothers and sisters, do not complain against one another. The word, the word complain there also shows up in the book of Exodus, when it says that the complaints of the Lord's people reached up to his ears. The complaints of the people in slavery and in bondage to Pharaoh reached up to God. And so what does God do? God exoduses his people out of Egypt, right? He takes them out from under the Pharaoh. So, so God listens to the grumbling of the people of Israel, but then he condemns the grumbling against brothers and sisters. Why? Why is, why is it different in Exodus versus in James? Well, because in Exodus, the grumbling went this way, and in James, the grumbling goes this way. And so the, the question for us is, when I complain, when I have legitimate frustrations with those close to me, 
Do I grumble up or do I grumble out? Do I complain up? Do I complain out? That's the difference. Do we complain about one another or do we take it to God? We need to ask that question of ourselves. Third, James warns us that without patience, we'll abandon our faith. Now, this is implicit in the text. Verse 11, uh, he gives us the example of Job. And he says at the end of that, uh, of that verse, he says, uh, you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. What is the outcome of the book of Job? The ultimate outcome of, of the book of Job, and we'll come back to this, is that Job kept the faith. Job stayed true. Even though his, his wife said, curse God and die, he doesn't. He remains faithful all the way to the end, all the way through the most catastrophic of outward circumstances. In fact, this underlies the, the definition that you have for you of patience that is pers- purposeful endurance no matter the circumstance. And so the question that I would pose from this danger, this risk, or this reason why we need patience is, are my circumstances able to shake my faith? Are the, are the crazy circumstances of life, the, the, the things that are unexpected, the, the things that seem totally out of the blue, are those circumstances able to shake me away from God? If, if that pressure, and, and you expect it or have experienced it, shakes you away from God, then we lack the kind of patience that James is aiming for. So we, we've seen why we need it. Let's go ahead and try to define it a little bit more. Look at what it is. What is patience? We're going to see five things from the passage that stand out. First of all, it's urgent. This, the text says, uh, verse 7, it says, Be patient until the Lord's coming. Be patient. Uh, that, that is an immediate command, a present command. Do it now. Be patient now. The, the, the one thing you can't be patient about is being patient, right? Uh, he, he says, you know, th- this is something that, may, maybe put it another way, it's never too late to begin pursuing patience. It's never too late to start. Even if you look back at your whole life and you say, you know, I have had this life that's just exemplified by impatience, by frustration and rage, um, fr- frustration with others, grumbling about others around me, um, constantly angry about the existential evils of the world around me, and uh, I, I want to be different. Uh, Je- Jesus is calling us. James says, be patient. Do it now. Go ahead and pursue it now. Don't put it off any longer. Second thing we see is that it's restrained. Uh, the word patient itself refers to the idea of holding back. Uh, it's, it's the idea of when I'm wrestling with my daughters, uh, our, our daughters are eight, four, and two, and we've got another on the way in October, and uh, the, you know, I, I find myself constantly like holding back. I mean, I could, I could squash one of those kids pretty easily. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's like Luke when he's got Vader down and, and could take that final blow. It's like uh, any, any of you who've test-driven a Tesla and, and you've got that 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. Um, it's restraint is, is the word of the day. Hold back. Don't, don't open up uh, all the way. Restraint. Even when it's seemingly justified to move towards self-vindication, toward anger, toward vengeance. Third thing to notice, patience is temporal. He says, be patient until the Lord's coming. So we, we do it until a certain point, and then we don't do it anymore. 
It says, again, because, uh, verse 8, because the Lord's coming is near. Uh, do, you, do you realize this is probably the only fruit of the, the Spirit that has an expiration date attached to it? Um, you will not continue to be patient in heaven. You will not need the gift of patience when you're with Christ, because all things will be made right. All of the evils that we face in this world will come to an end, and Jesus will reign, and, and, and it'll be a totally different world that we live in, so we won't need patience ever again. Interesting to, to note there. Fourth, patience is purposeful. He says, um, uh, in, in verse 8, strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. James is saying, before patience ever becomes something that's an external disposition or behavior, it starts as an internal reaction, internal commitment. Uh, often the, the challenge is when we think about impatience, we're often thinking about what happens on the outside. We, we think about that person who has angry outbursts, uh, they can't sit through a meeting, can't hold down a job. Uh, the, the person um, uh, that, that, that just is, is frustrating to deal with all the time, they, they constantly desire to poke the bear and, and mess up everything around them. That's what we think of when we think of impatience. But, but James is saying impatience isn't some kind of external flaw. And that's not the reason. The, the reason isn't something on the outside, something about uh, my, my personality. The problem is an evil heart. That needs to be addressed. And so he, he uses this language of strengthen your heart, strengthen it. Uh, the, the, the language there speaks of being, being anchored, tied together, tied down, being stable. Um, it, it's like um, every, every dad I know who goes to Home Depot and he's loading up the, the truck with, with uh, plywood or whatnot, and he get, gets out the straps and the ratchets, torques it down all the way, and then what does he say? What does he say? That's not going anywhere. Inevitably, right? That's not going anywhere. Um, that, that's what patience is. What it, what it means to strengthen your hearts is to say, that's not going anywhere. I, I, am, I am tethered, I am tied down to the heart of God. So much so that I will not be blown away when the winds of change happen, when the evils of society press in around me, when I'm frustrated with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not going anywhere. But that takes purpose. That takes intentionality to tether our hearts to God's. Fifth, we find it satisfying. Verse 11, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. Patient people are beatitude people. Patient people um, reject the lie that says impatience is the path to blessing. You know, that, that my heart will be most satisfied when I react, when I get my way right away. Patience rejects that lie and says patient people are blessed people. He, he actually says this all the way back at the beginning of the book. He, he bookends James with, with this idea. Back in chapter 1, verse 12, he, he, he tells us that patient people are blessed people. So reject that lie that says impatience um, is, is the path to the satisfied life. So by now, you've got all the but whatabouts piled up. You're, you're already going, okay, wheels turning, head scratching. You haven't answered my question yet. I need this answered. I want to give us um, uh, what patience is not from this passage. And, and it's, it's helpful because 
James uses three illustrations that I, I think are, are very instructive. He picks these illustrations very intentionally, very thoughtfully. He uses the illustration of a farmer in verses 7 and 8, if you haven't noticed that. Then he uses the illustration of the prophets in verse 10. And he uses the illustration of Job in verse 11. Farmer, prophets, Job. What do each of these teach us about what patience is not? First, the farmer tells us that patience isn't passivity. Patience isn't passivity. Um, in verses 7 and 8, that, that farmer has to be patient during the, this span between the former and the latter rains. He has to wait from the first rain to the last rain. In, in the ancient Near East, in the, in the space of Israel, uh, this would be the rains that come in the September-October time frame and the rains that come in the April-May time frame uh, in, the, in the other hemisphere. Uh, they've, they've got this, this season that they're looking at for their crops. And in the middle of that season, in that six, seven months or so that they're waiting, um, that is what James identifies as patience. Now, that prompts the question, what does a farmer do in those six or seven months between planting and harvest? Uh, does he just sit on his hands? Does he do nothing? What, what does a farmer do? And that, that, that uh, leads me to the parable of the five farmers. Uh, there were once five men who were sitting around a campfire late one night, and they heard a voice from heaven, and it said, go and become a farmer, and I will bless your crops. So the five men decided they would go and respond to this in different ways. The first one decided he didn't want to listen to that voice. He had all kinds of reasons to distrust that voice. And so he went home and decided to be a farmer. The second man heard the voice from heaven, same voice, and he, his response to that was, I need to commit myself to this vocation of farming. And so he goes home without any thought of that voice from heaven, without any thought of God in his life. He just goes and drives his, his life into farming. He works hard at it every day, day in, day out, 100%, sweating it out, pulling weeds, um, tilling the soil, planting the seeds, uh, you know, making sure that everything is, is right, scaring off the, the critters and everything like that. And at the end of the season, he's looking around, and he realizes there has been no blessing on all of that work that he's put in. He's, he's thought only of himself and his own labors. We'll call that the legalistic farmer. The one that only thinks of the labor that I need to put in. Hey, I've been called to this. Now it's all on me to get the job done, to get me where I need to be. The third farmer went home, and he didn't have time for doing all that physical labor himself. So what he de determined he would do is he would just pray about it. Well, that seems pretty spiritual, right? Let go, let God. We're just going to see what God does to, to bless this effort. And so every day he would walk past the field and he would offer a really great prayer. He would pray that the Lord would bring blessing on his field. He was very mindful of God and thought a lot of God's ability to do something about his field that lay fallow with all sorts of uh, weeds growing out of it, untilled, no seed in the ground. And he kept praying about it every time. Lord, would you please do something about this field? Would you please bring the harvest? Shockingly, nothing changed at the end of that season. Uh, we'll call that the passive farmer. The fourth 
farmer said, well, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put in my 50%, and I know that God's going to put in his 50%. I'll do half, and he'll do half. It's kind of transactional, but it'll work. So he went home, and, and he decided he would do, do a little, little work with the soil and then sit back and pray and see if God would do his thing, and do a little bit more and sit back and see what happens. And he did, he did that day after day after day for about three, four, five months. And eventually he said, I'm out. I'm out. I've been doing all the work, and I'm not seeing God doing anything as a result. I've done my half. Why doesn't God show up for his? And this we would call the quitting farmer. Finally, the fifth man went home, and he went to his, his fields and immediately falls down and prays and says, God, I can't do this without you. And every day as he goes out and works with the soil and pulls the weeds and tills the ground and plants the seeds, he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays as the the shoots begin to come out of the ground. He prays as the first rains come that the Lord would send the second rain. And he continues to pray. And at, at the end of the harvest, when the harvest finally comes, can he look at himself in the mirror and say, I did that? No. He, he looks at himself like the Apostle Paul and says, yet not I, but Christ in me. He looks at all of his labor and says, I gave 100% to that, but it means zero if God didn't show up, if God didn't do his part. I, I tell you that parable because so long as we're caught between the first and second reigns, between the first and second comings of Christ, so long as we have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, one foot in Christ and one foot in Cherrydale, we find ourselves in that tension of the farmers where we're sitting there feeling that pressure toward patience and not necessarily having all the answers and often feel pulled toward some of those other farmers rather than the believing farmer at the end. The believing farmer is one who gives 100%, yes, yet trusts 100% on God. Second thing that patience is not is patience is not pacifism. I like the, the, the second example that James gives us in verse 10. He says, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. He points us to the prophets. Now, prophets, he says, are people who bear the Lord's name, who speak in the Lord's name. And so, so they're not just sitting idly by when there's great injustice and evil in the world. They're speaking to it. They're doing something about it. They're not pacifists. But notice what prophets do. They speak in the name of the Lord, which what gives them two things. It gives them uh, boldness, but caution. Boldness, but caution. I'm bold because I don't want to say less than what God says about the evils of the world around me. I need to speak to it and never shy away from what God has said. But also caution because I don't want to say more than what God has said. I speak in the name of the Lord. And that, that brings a seriousness to the prophetic work. These prophets exemplify for us a third way between the pressures of this world. See, the, the pressures that we find ourselves in, in this dark world that we're, we find ourselves in, it pull us toward either pacifism, where we say, you know, peace at all costs, I just want to get along with everybody, I'm going to shave the edges off of truth, anything that's going to be uncomfortable in the culture I find myself in, in the, in the public square that I find myself in, I'm going to shave that off in order to be more palatable, in order, in order to not have any problems with people. So we're either pulled toward pacifism or we're pulled toward activism. 
where activism is, is constantly looking at the evils around us and, and getting angrier about whatever it is that gets under your collar and, and constantly getting more and more frustrated about Christians getting sidelined. We're getting more vitriolic online. We're, we're saying things like, you know, there was a time back in, yeah, you know, the 90s or the 80s or the pick your decade uh, where it was okay to be gentle and to be, be uh, exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. But now, now is the time for anger. Now is the time to strike the blow. Now is the time to destroy people online. That's the way to go now because things are dark and things are evil. See, we're pulled between pacifism and activism, but the prophets model a different way, a middle way to that. They model a direction that is neither pulled toward, pulled toward neither. They are prophetic and they are patient. Third thing that we notice is that patience isn't perfection. You know, it's encouraging to me that James uses the example, um, not necessarily of Jesus, the, the perfect example of patience. He, he uses the example of Job. He uses the example of Job who, um, you know, if you look at chapter 3 of, of Job, he despises the day of his birth. He presses God for answers. He's self-vindicating. In fact, when, when God shows up on the scene, he does offer a rebuke to Job but also a reward to Job. He's kind of this, this messy, in-between character who's, yes, his, his faith endures, but it doesn't endure beautifully or perfectly along the way. Um, Job shows us this imperfect path toward patience, this roller coaster journey of patience. He doesn't give us Instagram-worthy patience. He gives us the real deal, unfiltered, as it were. So we've seen hopefully, that we need patience. We've seen what it is and what it isn't. And now I, I want to land with, I, I think, the biggest but what about for me personally. Uh, I, I look at these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and often I, I just kind of can walk away depressed because I, I look at my life and I go, I just don't measure up to that. I, I, don't, I don't know how I get from impatient me to the patience that... God wants to produce in my life. And, and so I, I find myself asking, well, how do I get it? How do I get patience? Like the prophets, like Job. It just seems completely unattainable. It seems extreme. But James gives us good news for spirit-filled believers who are wrestling toward patience. He gives us good news because it follows the shape of the gospel. I want you to track with me first James says that we can have patience, that patience is possible because Jesus controls the world's destiny. He says, uh, at, at verse 7, be patient until the Lord's coming. And then uh, verse 8, the Lord's coming is near. He grounds us with the theological reality that God is moving all of time and history in a very particular direction, that Jesus himself is the master sovereign over all of creation, all of, over all of time, and is moving it toward judgment, that sin will be judged, that, that, that this existential evil that we experience in life, that the personal evils that hurt us, that even the, even the circumstances that are frustrating around us will be brought to an end when the judge shows up on the scene. Evil 
is going to be judged. That's, that's the first truth of the gospel, the bad news of the gospel. The second thing that James points us to is that patience is possible because Jesus breaks in on history. This is, this is the second reality of the gospel. We do not have a gospel. We do not have a good news if Jesus isn't at the door. If Jesus hasn't broken into history once before, and he will break in once again. In fact, we know that he will break in once more because he's broken in before. He has come in that door once as a suffering savior, and he will come in again as a triumphing judge. And he will beat evil, and he will destroy death, and he will destroy hell, and he will destroy Satan. And he is coming again. And we can have confidence in that. And we can rest in that. Our hearts can be patient because the judge is at the door. You know, the, the, the fact that the judge is at the door um, it brings incredible comfort to those who are patient, but great concern to those who are impatient because he is ever at the door to bring judgment, even on those who lash out against brothers and sisters in the faith. But he is ever at the door to hear our calls when we cry upwards, when we complain upwards to him. He is ever at the door to hear Third, patience is possible because Jesus gives lavish mercy. I don't want you to miss that final statement in verse 11. He, he lands the plane on this, and, and it's, it's so funny to me. I, like I, I picked up a number of commentaries to try to see what they do with that last phrase. The Lord is compassion, compassionate and merciful. And most of them just kind of gloss over it and say, you know, it's, it's another one of those, we don't know why that's there. But it's so important. See, you, you cannot be patient unless you have a Savior who is patient with you. We cannot be patient. We can't even have hope for patience unless there is one who crushed impatience and said, in the face of all the great injustices and evils of the world that have been poured out on me, I can be patient and endure that great evil. Because you know what? His patience becomes my patience. That is his mercy, that his patience becomes mine, that when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see Phil in all of his impatience and frustration and anger and rage, that he sees Jesus standing in my place. His mercy is more than my impatience. That is my only hope, that I am in him. That is, that is the only hope for my impatient heart, is that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Do you know that Jesus stands in your place when God looks at you? Do you know that his patience has come to substitute for your impatience? If, if you don't know that, or if you're not living in that beautiful reality, would this be the day that you say, I'm, I'm rejecting the path of impatience. I'm coming to Christ. I'm resting in his mercy alone. And I can pursue patience as one who has seen as Jesus. In him alone I stand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that evil will be judged, that we can be confident in that because we know that you poured out judgment on your son. We know that you will pour judgment out on the evils that surround us in the world. And because of that, would you instill our hearts with incredible patience, gospel-filled patience, that we would have hope and endurance during incredible trials that you bring our way, that you would instill our, our hearts with confidence that we know that you are at the door, that you are here to judge, and you are here to, to listen, and that ultimately 
we have that hope in you. That all of our impatience has been sucked up in Jesus and killed at the cross. And we've been given perfect patience in him who patiently bore with evil. I pray that we would look to you, that we would look at Christ standing in our place this morning. Perfect patience for our impatience. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.